Mark 10. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. So you can flip with me there, scroll with me there, or join me here on the screen. And I'm going to ask that we stand for the reading of God's word. Mark 10, Mark 10 beginning at verse 6. And it says this, But at the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful, we're thankful for this moment. Thank you for this time and space that we share together. God, we thank you uh, for what you're doing, for what you already began. God, God, we celebrate the new life raised to Christ this morning. And uh, Lord, we thank you for these next few moments that we have together. We ask that you speak because you're always speaking. So God, allow us to hear what it is that you're saying. Allow us to see what it is that you're showing us. And as your servants here this morning, we say, speak, Lord, because we're listening. In Jesus' name, everybody said, come on, come on, everybody said, amen, Amen and amen. You may be seated. So we say that this is building season, that we've stepped into a season of building. Now, that's not talking about a structure, a facility. Once again, you can pray that way. But this is really about Jesus is building his church. In Matthew 16, he says, I will build my church. Now, what can come to mind is about buildings. But hear me, the church is not about buildings and structure. It's much more than that. But the church, rather, it's a people, right? The church is is you and I. The church is an organization, but that's not solely what it is. It's an organism. It's alive. It's active. It's full of real people with real lives and with real stories. So Jesus is building his church. Now, we need to understand what that means. The church is not a collection of perfect people. Because you know what people say sometimes? They say the church is full of hypocrites. And I'm like, that's so hypocritical of you to say that. But they say that because they think that the church is full of perfect people. But the church is not full of perfect people. The church is full of imperfect people serving a perfect God. Now, if you want a perfect church, let's pause everything that's happening right now. Let's check the kids out of becoming kids. Let's all exit the building, and then we get a, a perfect church, meaning the people are not in here. And so now it's become perfect. So the church isn't a collection of perfect people, but rather imperfect people who are serving a perfect God. And can I tell you this? Jesus, he cares about his church. That's why he's the one who's building it. And I think it's important to know that Jesus is the one who's building it. You and I, we were never called to build his church. You and I were never called to be the ones to build his church. But here's what we were called. We were called to steward his church. We were called to serve his church. We were called to protect his church. We were called to care for his church. We were called to be generous towards his church. And listen, Jesus, he cares about his church. And the reality is we want Jesus to be the one who's doing the building anyway. Because when he's the one who's doing the building, here's what we can count on. We can count on it being healthy. We can count on it being sustainable. We can count on it being productive because he's the one who's doing the building. That's why I often, I say this often before we come up here and, and we, we have a conversation around God's word, is that Jesus is our message. That it's not about a person. It's, about, it's not about a name. It's not about a personality, but rather it's about the person of Jesus because family, please hear me. Do not think more of me or anyone who's communicating up here than you should. But your fellowship, your faith, your belief should be in the person of Jesus. Now, I love asking people, how did you connect to the church whenever they've come for the first time? Or maybe we're sitting down having 
uh, coffee or lunch, lunch, and they'll say, oh, you know, I saw it on social media, um, you know, I, I, I got a mailer, uh, you know, we were, we were new to the area, and we, we Googled uh, churches nearby, and um, all that stuff doesn't happen by mistake. It happens because we, we, we do marketing. <laughs> And some people like church and marketing, that doesn't go hand in hand. Well, we're 20 months old, so you got to find out about us somehow, right? But can I tell you, no matter how often or how much or how great a marketing strategy or programs can be, that's not enough. That's not what's going to sustain us. That's not what's going to propel us. That's not what's going to move us forward. But do you know what will? It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the wind of God. It's the breath of God. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that breathed life into the very beginning of the church. It's the reason why the church is still here today some 2,000 years later is because the power of the Holy Spirit that gives us the ability to do things in and of ourselves that we can't. So you say, what kind of church is this? This is a collection, a gathering of people that believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so you say, is this, does that mean it's a weird church? Well, hear me. The Holy Spirit isn't weird. It's just people who are weird. And so if you've encountered the Holy Spirit and weird people, then it's just weird people. It's not the Holy Spirit. All right? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need the wind of God, the breath of God. And listen, no matter what culture says, no matter what TikTok says, no matter what your favorite influencer says, no matter what your cousin says, no matter what anyone says, the church matters. The church is significant. The church is relevant. The church isn't going anywhere. It's here to stay. You know, the church has thrived in the most difficult of times. In the greatest levels of persecution, the church actually took off and grew. You know, people love to talk about, man, the church is dying. The church is declining. And all you see is not church growth, but you see church transfer. You see church sharing and all these things. Well, well people, when, when they make those statements, they're talking about, they're making them in a context of America, in an American context. But, but church Christianity is much bigger than America. I think that talks to, as Americans, how we, you know, we kind of live like this. But the church is bigger than America. The church is, is global. And when you scan the globe, you see that the church is thriving, that Jesus really is building his church. Whether it's the ladies in the, in the revival, in the, in the movement that's happening amongst women in Iran, if it's what's happening in Christians in China, uh, believers in India, in all, all these difficult places where uh, death is typically the outcome if you follow Jesus, the church is actually thriving. So then I have to go back and look and say, if the church is thriving in an environment like that, that tells me the church is powerful. It's powerful because when you invite and welcome the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that can stop that force of God. So the church isn't going anywhere. It's here. It's Jesus' plan for the world. It's the church. The church mobilized is the hope of the world. It's his bride is what he's coming back for. But... Until that moment comes, here's what responsibility you and I have. We have a responsibility to live life becoming who God desires us to become, meaning we have to allow him to build us, that, that he's the, the potter with the clay. We have to allow him to mold us and to shape us into who uh, he desires us to become. You know, last week, Pastor Hollis, he kicked off the collection, and he talked about building uh, begins with understanding purpose. And that's such a significant and vital piece to understand because you hear it so much. People say, what's my calling? What's my purpose? What's the reason that God created me? Well, we can sum it up in two ways. It's to know God and then it's to make him known. And so if you're wondering, why am I here? The reason why we are here is to know God to have a connection, to have a real relationship with him. Not my dad's relationship, not my mom's, not my grandmother's, not my pastor's, not, not, my, not anyone else's, but to know God. And, and, and then the second piece of that is to make him known. And that is where he gives us unique ways and creative ways to make him known. 
So maybe you're an engineer, maybe you're a doctor, maybe you're, you're a lawyer, maybe you're, you're in real estate, maybe you're in business, you're an entrepreneur. Well, listen, that's just a gateway, that's just a, a tool, if you will, into making him known. But your number one calling is to know him and then to make him known. But here's what we have to be careful of is that we don't make an idol of purpose. And so what happens is we'll find ourselves chasing purpose but never chasing God. So we're all bent on what is my purpose? What am I supposed to do? What am I called to do? But the conversation never started or began with God. And so we can't be people who chase purpose. We have to be people who chase God. Because as we pursue him... And what he wants for our life, he will then reveal, here's how you express your calling to me. Are you tracking with me this morning? So this collection building season is not about pursuing God for what I want from him, but it's having the mindset that I want him. And that's a question that we have to ask ourselves, like, are we okay? You know, I, I used to hear in the, in the church growing up, like, Lord, if you didn't do nothing else, you've done enough. But can we mean that? Can we say that truth? Like, Lord, if, you've ne- if you don't do anything else because of what you've done on the cross, come on, somebody, that you've done enough, that you've saved me, that you've healed me, that you've forgiven me, that you took what was mine and you took that on for yourself. And you gave me avenue to eternal life. So building season is not about big homes and big cars and big boats and all those things. But hear me, if you've got a boat, you've got to invite me on it, right? <laughs> but it's about saying I want to be a big person in my faith and in my fellowship with Jesus. And as I open up, I said this is going to be a conversation about how God is building marriages. And I want to talk about Katie and I for a little bit. You may have noticed she's not here today, so I'm not necessarily responsible for what I may say next because I don't have a check over here, but I'm going to tell the story about how we met, and she can't be here to refute it. That's what I love about that. Yeah, uh, Zoe uh, wasn't feeling well at the end of this beginning of the weekend. Now, when I left the house this morning, based on the attitude, I think she's feeling well. But it was just, you know, let's just be safe on the safe side. But, you know, she's spicy. I'll I tell you that she really is. But <laughs> Katie and I, we met uh, about 12 years ago. And uh, this coming May, we're going to celebrate 10 years of marriage. Come on, somebody. <clears throat> and listen, it's been an amazing 10 years. It's been good. But the story of how we got together is, uh, is highly debated. There's a lot of controversy around it, not on my end, but on hers, because I'm pretty clear and sure of the story. And the reality is, family, there's only one version of the story that's correct, and you, you guessed it. It's, it's my version. Yeah, 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 yeah. My version is the correct version, but here's how we met. She stalked me. She said... Look at that tall glass of chocolate milk. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. The guests are leaving now, they're leaving. What is this? But no, 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 I'm not joking on the stalk. She did stalk me. So I was, I was playing in a local uh, charity basketball game, and I'm, I'm on the court, and I'm warming up, and I'm getting ready, I'm getting loose, and I look up, and, and, and who, do, who do I see? I see Katie just... Just smiling. And I'm like, what in the world? Like, I'm like, this girl didn't show up. Because we had recently met. But see, I'm very, you know, slow and methodical. So it's like, what are you doing here? Like, we, we just met. And you showing up. And so I'm the whole game. Or let me say this. You may be thinking, well, okay, she showed up to the game to support. Like, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that at all. And, and on the surface level, there isn't anything wrong with that. The only problem is I, I, I just didn't invite her. Like, I, I, I did not say, hey, you want to come to the game uh, this Saturday? Like, the invitation was not extended, you know, not at all. 
Um, so that, so that, that, that was why it's a, it's a problem, and that's why it's, it's stalking, and you're not supposed to do that. And um, so I'm like, the whole game, I'm just trying to figure out what's going on. Now, she's, she says, well, how, how I want to tell this story. I mean, I'm saying like how I want to present it to you guys. It's the same story over time, but I'm trying to see I'm going to piece it together. So anyway, I'm, I'm playing the game. And the whole time I'm wondering like, man, you know, I hope, I hope she goes and leave because like what am I going to say to her after? Because I knew the, the only reason she was there was because I, I doubt it if she knows anyone else here. So she's only here because I'm here, which means she stalked me. So that's the situation. That's the problem. So now the game has ended, and, uh, and it's like, hey, how you doing? You know, what you doing here? You know, because she lived in Decatur at the time, so that's out of the way. You were not just in the neighborhood. You know, it was at Bob Jones. So I'm like, you're not, you were not just in the neighborhood. And she's like, oh, I, I know people here. I said, who? I, you know, just because you can name anyone. I'm like, okay, interesting. So I'm just walking because I'm like, I don't, I'm just, I'm good. So I'm trying to get to my car. And I notice she's walking with me, like, eh, just still walking with me. And I said, like, where you park at? Because I, 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 I'm, I'm over here. What you over there? And so I'm like, she's not leaving, guys. She's hanging very close. And so now it's at the point I'm like, ah, okay, I can't shake her. So I'm like, I mean, did you want to get something to eat? Or, you know, I felt now an obligation. Like, you want to get something to eat? And she's like, yeah, sure, sure. So we went to, you know, just it's hard to get in. It's very difficult. The customer service is amazing. It's just a top shelf restaurant. Uh, we went to Waffle House. We went to Waffle House. Come on, Waffle House. All star. Right on Madison Boulevard. You see it. Drive by today. You can say that's where it all began. But I guess it's really true. It's where it all began. But the stalking part, you still got to know about that. So digging deeper, you know, we have conversations about this years later. And she says, you invited me. And I'm like, no, I did not. We just met. I'm slow and methodical. I would not have just invited you. We only knew each other, I don't know, a week, we can have whatever. I'm slow. And uh, she says, no, because you told me what you were doing for the weekend. I'm like, okay, let's, let's, let's go back to the conversation. You said, what are you doing this weekend? I responded to the question of what are you doing this weekend by saying I'm playing in a local charity basketball game. Your question was, was not, hey, do you mind if I participate in what you're doing this weekend? And then I say, come on. Those are two different things. So I did not extend an invitation. I just simply responded to a question. So that is why I say she stalked me. Because what if I said I was taking grandma to the grocery store? Would you just going to catch a ride too? <laughs> it was responding to a question. But here we are. It's a mess. They're like, is he going to get to the word? It's a mess. But here we are 10 years later, nearly 10 years later. So I guess it worked. Three kids, you know, and, and here we are. So here's, here's what I'm saying. If you're single in the room and you desire to be married, all you have to do is stalk them and they will be yours. Don't do that. Do not do that. Do not do that at all. But family, we're going on 10 years. We're celebrating 10 years this coming May. And listen, that's significant. In the United States, there are two periods where divorce is most common. It's the years of one in and two, and then a year, the block of five and eight through eight. And so I asked the question, okay, so what is it that's allowing us to keep going? What has allowed couples who we see are on year 35, 45, 55, whatever it is, what is and it's healthy, what has allowed them to continue to keep going? Now, some people will answer the question, they'll say God, and it's like, I mean, yes, right? Okay, right, we understand that. But, but, but there's some intentionality there. There's some work 
there. There's, there's some, some things beneath the surface that's happening that is allowing a healthy marriage to go on for that time for you guys to be joined together in covenant and uphold the vows in which you exchanged. Because, listen, those numbers are real. And you know what's crazy? You can com- compare the divorce rate between those who are Christians and, and non-Christians, and it's basically identical. It's about 50%. So we have to ask, okay, so what is happening? Well, here's what's obviously uh, clear is that the devil wants marriages to end. He wants marriages to end in divorce. He wants your marriage to fail and not make it. He wants you to feel shame right now where your marriage is. Some of you drove in here this morning going at each other, and the enemy wants you to feel shame about that. But can I tell you, while that may be true, here's what is greater is that God wants to build your marriage. God wants this. Somebody got that. Come on. God wants to build your marriage. God wants to heal your marriage. God wants to restore your marriage. And he doesn't want to build your marriage simply so that you can post some nice pictures on Instagram. He wants to build your marriage to become a marriage of example and a marriage of influence, a marriage that one could look at and say, okay, I think think we can make it. And here's the beauty of that. Even if your marriage right now is on the rocks, even if it's shaky, even if you're going in a difficult situation, different, uh, difficult direction, that as you submit your life to the lordship of Jesus, that he can place you on a path of unity and togetherness. And then your testimony is going to become how our marriage almost ended. But here's where God intersected our story and now has allowed our marriage to become our ministry. You track it with me this morning. And, and I want to say this because maybe you're in the room and you say, listen, all of what you're talk, talking about is great. But I'm on the other side of that, that my marriage ended that I didn't get to this place that you're talking about. Listen, this conversation this morning, you need to hear this. This is not a conversation for you to sit in the seat and feel tension, to feel guilt, and to feel shame. Because that is not what the word and what God wants to do. But what God wants you to know is that you can remain and stay on the journey of healing. That how the story ended doesn't mean that's how your life is going to be. That he is still working in you. That he still has a path of purpose for you. That he still wants to do something and is doing something in and through your life. Are you tracking with me this morning? So, if we're going to allow Jesus to build our marriages, there are some areas that we must pay attention to. And so really quickly, I want to give us three areas, three spaces that we need to pay attention to as we allow Jesus to build our marriage. And here's the first area. We need to pay attention to our friends. Pay attention to your friends. Listen, family, it's so vital to pay attention to your friends in marriage. One, because especially if, you, if they are your friends, They were your friends prior to marriage. Well, guess what? They are your friends, but they're not y'all friends. And so so that means there's going to be a certain level of bias there. That if there's a a difficult spot that you and your spouse are in, they're not going to necessarily fully agree with you. They're not going to necessarily disagree with you, rather, regardless of how in the wrong you are because they're your friends. So you have to pay attention to that. You also have to pay attention if they're your friends before Christ and they're still in a, they're in a different part of their journey. Because then what they are sharing to you, the advice that they're sharing to you, has not been filtered uh, through the word and through the Holy Spirit. So you need to pay attention to your friends. Why? Because friends should be a blessing to your marriage, not a barrier, Right? That friends should be a blessing to your marriage, not a barrier. You don't want friends, excuse me, you want those friends who will encourage you in the right way, not lead you in the wrong way. You don't want to find yourself knowing you are in your mess and in the wrong, and here comes that friend to validate you right where you are, and you continue in the wrong way. I'll, I'll even add this. There has to be discernment 
if your closest friends are single and you're married. And I know they with you. I know they cool. I know y'all been together, been boys, been girls since yay high. But there has to be a discernment because if they're single, there are just things that they can't understand and comprehend to be able to speak into. And so it's kind of cool when you are always available, but it's not as cool when you're not. And so then the advice is going to lean a, a certain way to get you to being back available to hang and chill and kick it all the time. And so you have to pay attention to what friends, what advice. That's why we have to know that friendships sometimes or the, the, the connectivity in the way the friendship is functioning is sometimes seasonal. That as I get married, all of my friend group can't be single. That I've got to ask the Lord, okay, where are some couples that we can kind of link up and do life together? Because we're kind of going through the same season, going through the same moments together. But if all of my friends are single and I'm married, then the influences will ultimately or could potentially be something that becomes a barrier and not a blessing. Now, don't, don't hear that I'm saying if you have friends that are single that are not a blessing to your life. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is there is discernment and how to, na- how to navigate that. You're tracking with me this morning. Because if a friend is always speaking negatively about your spouse, first of all, that shouldn't happen because you should guard the conversations that you're having. If Katie and I have a disagreement and something's not working out, I'm not picking up the phone and telling God, you won't believe what this woman did. She killed my nerves talking like that. Y'all like, are, y'all get, are you getting something out right now? I'm not. It's just a fact. Right? So first of all, I shouldn't even put a friend in a position to feel that they have the access or the ability to speak about my spouse in a certain way. But we need to pay attention to friends who's always speaking negatively about your spouse, always leading you in a direction that's not going to bring you and your spouse together. Because, listen, that is a friend who no longer needs to be a friend. You say, man, that's tough. I didn't say you have to lose connection with them. But there are, there are levels to connectivity. There are associates and there are friends. And maybe for this season, this moment of life, that person needs to transition from being a friend to actually being an associate. And so we can see each other. We'll grab lunch every now and then. But the conversation is going to be very surface level. How you guys doing? We good. So you saw that game this week? And then we just move on, right? Because you need people. You don't need a friend who's always looking for the issue. Because that's not a friend. That's a shark. What do sharks do? Sharks look for blood in the water. And the moment they see the blood, they sense the blood in the water, it's the moment to attack. You say, where are you getting that from? Proverbs 12, 6. The words of the sinful lie and wait for blood. Ooh, if they come talking about how old girl tripping, I'm, ooh, I'm going to tell them what he really need to do. So they're just waiting for that moment. But here's the kind of friend you need. But the mouth of the faithful will take them away from trouble. Like, hey, bro, you tripping. No, 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 no. She is absolutely right. You were wrong, and you should not have handled that situation like that. So in other words, we got to get to a point where we say, I need faith friends because I've had enough fake ones. So I don't need friends who are going to lead and try to be a voice of separation between my spouse and I. No, I need need a friend like this. I need a non-biased truth teller. I need someone who's going to say, listen, you, 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 you my boy, you my dog, we cool, but you wrong. And, 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 and you know that you're wrong. And you ain't got to kick it no more. We ain't got to be cool no more. But you're going to know, you're going to hear from me that you're wrong. And we need that type of friend in our lives so that we can navigate uh, the spaces that we've been called to do, especially when it comes to marriage. For what purpose? This purpose, Matthew 19, 6, so that they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And can I say this? I'll take it a step further. Especially if, especially if you're early in your marriage, hear me. Be careful with going to your parents for advice. If you are early in your marriage or at any point in your marriage, be careful with going to your parents with advice. And the reason why I say especially if it's early in your marriage, because listen, mom don't even know if she like her for real yet. You said yes to her, but mom has said yes to her. Mom like, uh-uh, I don't trust her. I knew something was up to her the moment you brought her by the house. <laughs> and so what mom going to tell you? Ah, leave her. It's easy. 
I help pay for it. <laughs> Mom, don't trust her yet. Dad, he don't never change the oil like you used to. Because I told you, girl, no one's going to be able to take care of you like I can. So you have to be careful, even with mom and dad, and going to them for advice because y'all have become one. So you got a problem, you got an issue, guess who needs to work it out? You two that have become one. Don't involve mom in it. Don't involve dad in it. Don't involve cousin Pookie, Ray Ray, your nieces, your ne Nobody. It's between the two of you. Shut the door and figure it out. You know, so many people, again, please do not feel shame. I, you, don't, don't feel shame. Don't feel guilt. But culture conditions us to just jump to the easy way out so fast. And there are grounds for divorce. So hear that abusiveness and, 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 and infidelity. And so, so, so hear me. But there, it was an argument. It was disagreement. It's just, you, you got to work. It's, it's difficult. You know, I, I have coffee with Mr. Johnson often, also known as JJ, also known as the GOAT. Y'all know him. But he and Miss Linda, they've been married for so many years. And I, and I ask him, What's been the thing? Oh, we work. And it still continues to be work. So a lot of times we see people who've been married for a while and think it just happened, but it was work. It was argument. It was disagreement. But we have to do the things and pay attention to the areas that at least will set us up for success. And that first area is we need to pay attention to our friends. Here's the second one. Pay attention to your language. You remember that old saying that sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We know that's a lie. We've come to realize that. We've grown up, and we're like, that's not true. Words hurt because words matter, because words have meaning, words have power, words are significant, words have the ability to build up, words have the ability to tear down. So in marriage, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of words am I speaking? What language does my spouse hear me speak? Because if we find ourselves using language like this, well, you always miss the important moments. You always get on my nerves. You always do that thing that I don't like. You never show up when I need you to show up. You never take out the trash when I want you to take out the trash. You never remember to put gas in my car. Well, how come you don't do this like so-and-so does? I wish you would for once just pay attention to the areas I want you to. You always want sex. You never want sex. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. But listen. <laughs> Some, listen, sometimes you can just watch the movie. That is possible. But the reason why some of us, we don't have the marriage we want is directly connected to the language that we use. So we have to pause and look and analyze what type of words am I speaking? If we're constantly finding ourselves using words that tear down, then there's nothing out of our marriage that's going to be built up because words matter. Look, look at this, Proverbs 15, 4. The soothing tongue is a tree of life, but a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. It's the power of words, all right? Do my words give life to the spirit or do my words kill the spirit? So I want to speak to, to the ladies and to the fellas really quickly this morning. So ladies, now fellas, this isn't a moment. To, you need to listen. Don't do that because we're coming. We're coming for you as well. <laughs> but could it be that the reason your husband is not responding in the way that you want him to respond could be directly related to the way that you speak to him. And you have to be careful with saying things, well, he's a man, he just needs to take it. Well, this is who I am. You know, I, I, this type of family I come from, this big family, so you had to be loud. You had to, you had to get your point across. Okay, that was cool. That was with your family, but this is your husband. Yeah. This, this is your spouse. 
And maybe, just maybe, he's not doing the things that you want him to do because of the way that you speak to him. That if you're always telling him what he does not do, guess what he will not do? He's not going to do that thing. He's not going to take out that trash. He's not, he's, he's not going to do the things that you want him to do. You say, so, so, then, so then what's the remedy? What is the thing? Well, I'll, I'll set it up like this. If you ask, what is it that, that husbands want the most? Most of everyone, if not everyone, will say it's sex. And listen, while that is a great response, that's not it. What men desire the most is honor. Men want to be honored. Men want the affirmation. Men want to know that you appreciate the simple act that they did. So more than sex, men want to be honored. It's simply saying, Babe, thank you for taking out the trash. Thank you for always making sure our lawn looks good. I ride around the neighborhood. I see all the lawns that are but you always make sure we're on point. Hey, thank you for, for just, man, you're always thinking above and beyond. You're always one step ahead. Thank you for the way that you protect this family. Thank you for the way that you pray for this family. Man, you, you're, always, man you're, you're always thinking ahead. I, I, man, I, I just I honor you. And while that could feel like it's nothing, it is everything to a man because his major need is honor. And you see it from a boy, right? Let dad say, I'm proud of you. Let mom say, I'm proud of you. Those words matter. I watched, I watched my son this morning because they were home. And he came into, I was looking over my notes and he came into the office. And I, told him, I just simply told him, good job, buddy. He did sound like, good job, buddy. Daddy's proud of you. And the way he, he did that little dance walking out the office. Because I honored him. I affirmed him in that moment. And so, ladies, if you, <laughs> but if you want to see a response from your husband, you want to see him take the trash out, mow the lawn, wash the car, change the oil, put gas in your car, honor him. Say, babe, I appreciate that. Thank you. It's speaking honor. Because Infidelity doesn't just happen because two people tripped up and ended up in a hotel bedroom together. But it begins because Bob had a presentation at work and Susie told him how great of a job he did. But it wasn't the first time she said it. It was the third time. And so now when she said, you want to go grab drinks afterwards, Bob said, sure. Because he wasn't getting honored in the same way at home. You may say, well, where are you getting this? It's Ephesians 5.22. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, people will misuse this verse. But it says, why submit yourselves to your own husbands? So not to that man or that man or this man or that man or whoever, but to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And then that word submit does not mean to become a slave, to become a doormat, to be under some dictatorship. But here's what it means. It means to have a voluntary attitude. It means to say, you, you know what, I don't, this, this is just what I'm going to voluntarily do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to honor you in this moment. That, yeah, 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 sure, babe, of course, of course. And then even sometimes I, I will have crazy ideas. And Katie will not destroy my crazy idea. She'll just let me have a crazy idea. And then two days later, I forgot about it. So just voluntarily just saying, I ain't, I ain't going to say nothing. I'm not going to say how crazy that is, how that don't make no sense. But just, because he's going to forget about it. He's going to watch the game. He's going to go to the gym. He, he's going to work. He's forgot. So, just, so that's, that's what it looks like. Just vol Nope, nope, I'm going to let it go. Because then when you're like, that don't make no sense. Man, you never think nothing I say makes sense. You see, you see what I'm doing? You see what I'm saying? So it's just saying, no, I'm going to let them have that. It's, voluntary, it's a voluntary attitude, which sounds like honor. Now, fellas, here's the instructions that Paul gives us. Ephesians 5.24 It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. So continue reading. Don't just stop at verse 22. Girl, you need to submit. Submit. That's what the words say. 
No, keep reading. Verse 24, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church. Now, that's the question. How did Christ love the church? He died for the church. So in other words, as husbands, we're dying to ourselves so we can lift up our wives, so we can support our wives, so we can protect our wives, so we can care for our wives. And what is the thing that she needs the most? She needs love. That's why it says husbands Love your wives. You notice that? It says, it tells us wives submit. So wives, honor your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. The Bible's given us the key. It's given us the blueprint. So the, the main language that your wife needs you to speak is the language of love. And it's simple. I love what you did with your hair. That looks good. Did you get your hair cut? Did you color it? I like that. Are you rocking that, girl? What you doing later? Okay, no time? Cool. But next week, all right. <laughs> I love the dress you're wearing. That looks good. Is that new? Got your nails there, girl. Watch out. Right? Just simply affirmation is expressing love. And of course, I love you. That still works. Now, as men, as husbands, as husbands, here's what we can't confuse. We can't confuse sex with speaking the language of love. So we can't think that being physical is an expression, is, is the language alone of love. Because hear me, intimacy begins way before the bedroom. Intimacy begins with your expression of love to her. Is in the simple moments of just saying, I love what you did with your hair. Why is that so important? Because here's what it shows to your wife. It shows her that you see her. It shows her that that, that sparkle in your eye is still there. It shows her that she still has your attention. It shows her that, that she still matters to you when you speak the language of love. So, fellas, it can never be she doesn't this or she doesn't that. My wife doesn't this. And please, don't, don't ever say, you know, Always notice my, my mom always made sure she took care. Mm -mm. Don't don't do that, fellas. That's that's not good. That's not good at all. I just want to let you know, just in case you're gonna try these things when you went home, just don't don't do it like that. It needs to be about her. But we can never say she don't never this, don't never that if we are not loving her. We have to check ourselves, but am I loving her? So here's what I say on this. So we need to pay attention to our language, and here's what I say to both of us. Wives. Speak to your husbands with a tone of honor, and husbands, speak to your wives with a tone of love. That's it. So let's just start there and allow things to work from that place. That wives, you're going to speak with a tone of honor to your husband. Like, don't, don't, if, if it's something that just don't make sense, don't, don't tell him in front of everybody. Wait till y'all get into the car and not around the kids as well. But go into the bedroom before you go to bed at night and talk about it because everything communicates and what you're doing is teaching your kids. So then your kids say, well, then I don't, I don't respect daddy either because it don't look like mommy respects daddy. Because we got to lose the stigma. We got to lose the stigma that culture puts on men. They, they tell you men are the dummies in the room, that men are not smart. That men, look, look, watch any sitcom. They're always making the mistake. They're always missing. They're, they don't know. So we got to make sure we're not adding to that narrative and how we speak uh, to wives and how you speak to your husbands in the same way. Speak to your wives with a tone of love. That I'm not raising my voice. That I'm not yelling. I'm not shouting. If there's a disagreement, we'll work this out. And then here's what, we, what you can do in front of your kids. You can apologize when you've got it wrong. Hey, the way, the way daddy spoke to mommy, that wasn't right. And I apologize to mom because I hurt her feelings. And subsequently, I hurt your feelings by allowing you to see that. And so daddy wants to say, I was wrong, and I apologize. And so you're honoring her, but then you're also teaching your kids a lesson in the process. So here's the last thing. You all get anything out of this this morning? Pay attention to what you allow. You have to pay attention to what you allow. You know, in the beginning of our marriage, we had to set some ground rules. Like, hey, we're going to have some disagreements, but here are some things that we are not going to do. Here's how this is not going to go. 
We had to lay some ground rules or, in other words, pay attention to what we allow. And this is so important. And it's so vital that we pay attention to this because, as it's clear, there's an enemy to our marriage. There's an enemy who wants to divide our marriage, who wants to cause separation, who wants to see marriages end and divorce. And he'll take what seems small and create a mountain of it by way of a tactic called accusation. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the devil. He's known as the acute. In fact, let's go to say this. Let's, let me define devil. So here's what devil is. It's prone to slander, slanderous, accusing falsely, false accuser or slanderer. Revelation 12.10 calls him the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser of our brothers and sisters. So what is the voice of the devil? It's always an accusation. Have you noticed that they always want you to respond the way, but they don't? I think that's a problem. What do you think? Man, have you noticed she kind of snapped at you right there? She kind of, she didn't check her tone. Her tone was off. You realize, man, why, why is he talking about her so much? He don't talk about you the same way he's talking about her. Could something be going on? Right, he's an accuser. And he'll take what's small, and if we allow it, it will become this thing that becomes a mountain that, 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 that develops this wedge between us. You know, when I was a kid, uh, my parents were in the military, and when you're in the military, you're, you have a duty station. And so you hear people say, like, oh, yeah, I was stationed at Bragg. Or, I was stationed at Bliss. I was stationed at Hood. I was at Fort Lewis, wherever the case may be. That's where you're stationed. That's where you're assigned to. That's where you're called to to perform a certain task there. Hear me this morning. When we allow conflict to remain constant in our marriage, and I'm not talking about just the reality of what happens when you take two people and put them in a house and say, live together. I'm not talking about that type of two married people. I'm not talking about that type of conflict. But I'm just talking about this constant, just can't get it together type of conflict. When we allow that to remain, we are telling demonic forces that you can be stationed here, that you can set up shop here. That you can work in. You're like, man, demonic, like, what kind of church is this? Well, it's a Bible church. In Ephesians 6, it tells us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against uh, principalities and spirits and evil forces in high places. And so we have to understand that it's not the person, but oftentimes it's the spirit. And so when we allow conflict to remain in our marriage, we're telling Demonic forces that you can be stationed here. And so it looks like, hey, I'm, I'm over at the Joneses because they still tripping off of uh, how the husband responded at the family reunion that he didn't want to go to. So it's 12 months later. I've been here. I mean, I've been causing all kind of havoc. I've been causing all kind of issues. Yeah, I think I think she lawyered up right now. So I don't know. I think she's drafting papers. Where you at? Man, I'm over here with the Smiths. They got some issues, too. They got a lot of things going on. So I don't know. It's supposed to be some kind of work uh, relationship thing that's kind of crossed the line. So this is where I'm stationed because we did not resolve the conflict. So then what do we do? Well, obviously, we can't stay here. We need to resolve it. And here are seven ways that we can resolve conflict in marriage. Here's the first way. We got to listen. And I say listen, not hear. Because we can hear a lot of things, but we can listen to nothing. And so we need to say, I'm going to listen intentionally to my spouse. And I'm not thinking of a way that I can respond, but I'm listening to understand what it is that they're saying. And then I'm going to consider. We have to consider that we could actually be wrong. Imagine that. You are wrong. <laughs> but I say that because I remember once telling Katie, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I'm right. So I know me. So I know when there's a disagreement between us, I, it's not the space to debate her. No, her feelings are real. And she's feeling that for a reason. And so it's on me to analyze and ask the question, I, I, I think I could be wrong here. And then here's what we've got to do. We've got to reject. Reject the voice of the accuser. Because the enemy is always going to accuse to cause more separation. And instead of listening and entertaining the voice of the accuser, you know what we need to do? We need to pray for our spouse in that moment. Here's what else we've got to do to help resolve conflict. Change. So how can I change my response? 
How can I change my approach to the situation? And then here's what we got to do. Micah, if you come help me. We've got to wait. Don't rush the process. One thing I did early on in our marriage, I, I, I just don't like conflict. I don't like disagreement. And I'm like, hey, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. You good, right? You good. So we, we can get on with it and just keep, keep moving. She wasn't good. She's got to process it. And she processes differently than I do. And so I'm like, look, we can't, we can't go to bed like this. You know what the Bible says? We, we got to figure it out right now. And she's like, yo, I just need to go to Target. Can, can, can you leave me alone? Just let me walk a little bit, and I'm going to come back with the answers. But I had to understand, like, yo, don't rush the process and just wait. And here's the last, here's the seventh way. Compromise. That we have to move our thinking from I to we. And so in a marriage, there's no, yeah, I won that argument. That I was right. No, it's we are not on the same page. So there's no winning. There's no losing. There's a disagreement. There's only losing. And so we have to come together to figure out how we can get on the same page. And you know what that looks like? It looks like compromise. All for what purpose? Well, it's going back to our text. Because the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So what's the point of today, family? The point is for us to not allow the enemy to cause separation. And one of the areas that the, the, areas that the enemy will use as, to, to, as a tool to create separation are friends who are not a blessing to our marriage but a barrier. It's us using the wrong language, and it's when we don't pay attention to what we allow. So the challenge for us today is to have the mindset that we're not going to allow the language of separation, that we're not going to have relationships that lead to separation, that we're not going to allow anything to come between this marriage that will cause separation. Would you pray with me this morning?